Thursday, bitches. I'm Purnima, and um, I realize that my cheer is completely unnecessary because we are recording this on the edge of the third wave, which is terrifying. And um, really, the way I look at it right now, since we're all in the middle of it, there are only two ways to prepare for it. Either we believe the doomsday Debbie Downers, aka the scientists and the experts, who, let's face it, aren't half as exciting as Baba Ramdev, or you could swing the other way and get your Janampatri read or call your numerologist who always tells you you're on the brink of becoming a millionaire and believe that Gomutra will save you. Yes, you, you favored idiot child, you. <laughs> and take everybody else (laughs) no matter what you believe is going to happen nothing really matters because the future is a bitch that's just going to do its own thing so for this podcast sit back and relax or panic whatever floats your boat because we are talking about this thing called the future which is about as relevant right now as our government's vaccine plan (laughs) oh no (laughs) I'm Janissia and I'm a glass half full sort of person. You know, if the glass is full of hemlock, poured by a nihilist who may or may not look like Stanley Tucci. Yes, you remember Daddy Stanley fucking Negroni pouring Tucci. Do you know when that happened, guys? That happened in April 2020, which was legitimately 3,000 years ago. And do you remember yourself in April 2020? What did you think the future looked like, kids? I mean, I say kids because everybody I know now is 47, okay? It's not just me. <laughs> Even my youngest child is 40 fucking 7. <laughs> like, what does the future even mean anymore? Like, it's just a totally new concept. Like, we have ideas of hope or looking ahead or planning. Everything has changed now, guys. Fuck if I know, because my personal equation with the future, I'm a big one for dreaming. I'm a big one for actively working towards future goals. Basically, short of being a vision board freak, I am pretty much a creature of the future. As in, I'm not really one to look back. I enjoy waking up in the morning and seeing what the day has for me. But I have to say that the pandemic has genuinely made a serious dent in my belief that the future can be influenced by me in any way. I know that sounds cliched. I get that hope is necessary, of course. But COVID has impacted my unquestioned confidence in a bright future, you know. It's a disaster. I know here my generation, okay, now we are the venerable Gen X. And I think this fucks us up a bit because we invented looking at the future. Sorry, everybody, but we did. (laughs) (laughs) Just indulge me for a minute while I push this theory forward, okay. And these are the facts, all right. We came of age at a time when there was this like worldwide economic slump. There was a boom of sorts in India. But, you know, we are literally the everything sucks generation. And there was a sense that everything had peaked and music and there was nothing left to look forward to Mm -hmm. and then our folks they invented google and wikipedia amazon.com youtube and like without any fanfare and everything we all have to apologize to you guys for the phenomenon of the personal confessional blog okay but the rest of what we made was fine it was all okay (laughs) they say that gen x was the most entrepreneurial generation in the u.s and we were also an idealist generation so we were talking about how bad consumerist cultures were we were talking about climate change we were talking about reproductive and gender rights and stuff we also created these huge leaps culturally like there was music and there was independent cinema and of course i'm sorry but we were also the last generation for whom higher education actually made sense financially in the long term like Mm. you know pay a lot of money and you got something out of it for your 
from your education and i think we are also the last generation to you know just assume we were going to have buy a house or have kids without like doing a twitter poll or using the word for babies <laughs> you know it was a more realistic time and we were looking at the future and building for it because at that time the present seemed really dull and depressing and now <laughs> guys i want my mtv and i want my fucking money back okay <laughs> i know i weep for our innocent past i mean the innocence the stupidity of it all but also the humanity of it all you know i mean it's it's human to look ahead and of course have panic attacks but it's human to look ahead and after listening to you i really feel like this is why we today need those posh retreats so that buddhists can teach us how we don't step in the same river twice or whatever <laughs> don't say step in the river now purnima we've got ptsd from that <laughs> i apologize for this <laughs> no, but particularly those that reside in north india point is it is a uh, profoundly human to contemplate the future i know you have a lot to say on this today yeah but like I, i'm just i'm just wondering like you know this ability to imagine the future is it like a human superpower or is it our kryptonite <laughs> so it's called you know time traveling in the mind and it's part of your imagination now is this ability to imagine the future of total fuck up apparently imagination is what separates us from the animals not you know as you would think push up bras and making tiktok videos but no you <laughs> can imagine highly intelligent animals apparently can they can plan a bit into the future and they learn a bit from the past so like there was this zoo in sweden and researchers were watching this monkey and he only collected rocks in the evening or the early hours of the day and in months when the zoo was open not when the zoo was closed and they realized he just wanted to throw stones at humans so the rest of the time <laughs> he wasn't bothered he was just making a big pile of stones and that was his planning for the future i mean it should be all our planning for the future actually yeah he's like big, a monkey man. <laughs> yeah big pile of rock your children what is mummy going to let you inherit a big pile of rocks scientists <laughs> call this the nested scenario building ability and it starts at the age of like 2 and 3 you know we can imagine what's going to happen you know lots of children they spend years playing doctor doctor you know what if that's those are just imagined scenarios and imagined consequences and that's the way human brains function so we are called homo prospectus <laughs> so you know it's not just that we'll buy life insurance or we'll freeze extra food in case we think we're going to get bamboozled by the virus you know we have a series of these scenarios and these different outcomes and they bounce off the scenario feedback loops we get from different places like the media or other people or like you know your mum will say don't wear an underwire bra because you'll get cancer now that hasn't been proven and anyway while she was telling me this we were also driving around in the station while the windows you know rolled up and my father smoking at the six of us so your your, your scenario feedback also has to be evaluated i don't think they're all born equal in the scenario building case but we are trying to generalize for this podcast and and of course listener before you jump down our throats of course being able to imagine the future is also fabulous it's not all rubbish because that's how we plan we visualize we build awesome shit and that's how greatness is achieved by science and engineering by social scientists and artists they have an idea of the future that is smarter more efficient kinder more beautiful kinder. more just and you know they go about building it which is what i 
find really fascinating about how many of us dream of the future. I'm not talking about predictions, but how we dream of the future for ourselves. It ends up being a better version of the now. The future for like so many of us is an escape out of our current personal hells, right? It's where right. everything good and everything works out. You know, sometimes the future is just a nicer place to live in. You know, thinking about the future d- does seem like a great thing. It's, you know, you do it a lot more when you're younger. And when you go to therapy and all now, one of the books they recommend you read is that Power of Now book. And to some extent, there was those people are right. To be honest, they seemed writer before the pandemic to my garden variety brain. But living in the present is supposed to be good for you. And then making small increments into the future, like, oh, in two months, I'll take a holiday. Or next weekend, I'm going out for a drink with my friends. What's happening is we also kind of place our rewards in the future, whether just now mm-hmm. or like two weeks from now, a month from now. And I read about this 10-10-10 principle, right? Which is like really cool. Like you evaluated things, consequences via what it will mean for you in 10 minutes or 10 months or 10 years. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this is the first time in history, though, that, you know, all this grappling with the future, all the 10 10 tens are seeming quite garbage, to be honest. <laughs> like the 10 years from now it's too late for me friend <laughs> I know that this 10 10 10 principle is supposed to help us you know imagine a beautiful brighter future <laughs> but like you said we're grappling with absolute rubbish right now and in fact yeah. there are actually people who suffer from a very specific kind of anxiety disorder that's called chronophobia which is the extreme fear that this moment will pass it will finish and look I I can't really claim to say I understand this entirely but I was just thinking about it and I figure it must be so hard to function or even do basic stuff when you're constantly in a clench about this very second you know ending now or now or now and it's it's so exhausting so i was reading up on uh, chronophobia and according to the interwebs chronophobia can come on suddenly sometimes even a simple benign comment like time moves so fast can trigger this phobia in a person already suffering from anxiety disorders wow. uh, so some of the triggers yeah and, and it's really incredible you know can you imagine like being afraid of like the next moment in your life yeah. uh, and the triggers for this are like you know a lot of the usual suspects but a lot of surprising ones as well so depression is a major trigger of this phobia or yeah. a person might turn a, a certain age like may turn 40 or 50 or 60 and suddenly feel empty uh, this could be a time when kids usually leave or you know when one starts to feel useless as if they're not contributing in any way it could be triggered by the loss of employment and the death of a loved one which so many of us are you know right now grappling with even divorce or separation And this one really was very heartbreaking, which is the afflictions of old age, you know, and when you start realizing the inevitability of death. And the last one, which is a banger, women undergoing menopause are more prone to chronophobia. (laughs) Yikes. Future phobia is female, everybody. (laughs) Oh, now you get a prize for that when I'm putting it on a fucking (laughs) t-shirt. So to look forward to ladies I tell you but the real uh, clincher as terrible as chronophobia sounds and I'm sure people who suffer it for them it's excruciating there is this other thing that the future kicks up which is uncertainty that sneaky little shit in 2016 There was a really interesting study which was published in Nature magazine. And no, I don't read Nature. I read (laughs) The Guardian, which quotes the Nature. (laughs) There was this team of scientists. They did this experiment where the participant has to play a video game 
which mm. is basically a wide field of rock now some of the mm. rocks have snakes under them and others don't have them and of course the participant doesn't know so they have to keep checking under the rocks and if there is a snake under one of them then the participant gets zapped with a mild electric shock which is if people have been listening to this podcast over the past episodes <laughs> we have a lot of scientists who like to zap people with electric shock <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> why else would you go into science and not yes, into <laughs> so these poor fuckers who keep finding the snakes they keep getting zapped and over time of course they get smarter right the participants begin to realize that there's some level of predictability so they learn mm. to predict which rocks will have the snakes and uh, they avoid those rocks and therefore avoid the shocks but then the fucking algorithm changes because that's how it's been set up and the game changes and it's suddenly like halfway through it's not so easy to predict where the snakes will be and again these guys get zapped then again the participants figure out the new rules of predictability for the game and this mm. goes on and on for a while so it's like this complete roller coaster of emotions so sometimes it's easy to predict the snakes and avoid the shocks and at other times you just don't know the uncertainty is too much and mm-hmm. throughout this experiment all participants are constantly like monitored for stress so their heart rate and pulse rate and other parameters are constantly measured so what did they conclude uh, now i'll quote directly from the guardian article the main finding was that all measures of stress both subjective and objective maxed out when uncertainty was the highest that is when predictability was at 50% 50% there's a snake 50% there's no snake uh, this is when people had absolutely no clue whether they were about to get shocked that's when their stress peaked other studies have also said that there's a link between uncertainty and stress but never with this kind of precision so then the article goes on to ask So what's the big deal everybody kind of knows that uncertainty is stressful right but what this experiment showed and what was not so obvious earlier is that uncertainty is more stressful than knowing for sure that there's a predictable negative yeah. one. so it's more stressful to wonder whether you will make it to your meeting on time than knowing for sure that you'll be late you know and it's more stressful to wonder if you're going to lose your job or not than being quite sure that yeah i'm going to lose my job yeah. so so that's what this experiment it was a resounding yes that uncertainty fucks you over the way that no other you know scenario does and jesus christ i don't even want to imagine what our collective brains look like right now you know what a mess we all are living yeah. through the last two years one and a half years and so that's why i think like i'm learning in this pandemic not to judge people too harshly when they find their own crazy little ways to feel even mildly in control of an unknown future which is where we come to what might possibly be yours and my favorite part of this episode <laughs> where we ladies and gentlemen discuss astrology and tarot <laughs> which i could explain away as a kind of calming tactic giving us a false ish sense of control over things we can't actually control astrology and tarot is also firmly rooted in time so you can tell what is going to happen to you on August 29th 2059 and thus becomes a temporal self for the soul and that's why it attracts me although there is no way that all of us who are born under the same zodiac are likely to win the lottery this week or get crushed by a car because if that were happening we would be on BBC 
or CNN right now. But I, I do want to give a disclaimer before we go deeper into this that I very much acknowledge that when taken as anything other than good, mindless, harmless fun, astrology can be extremely destructive. I'm looking at you, Kummela people. <laughs> I am looking at you, you fuckers. I really, I do enjoy how much tarot and astrology pisses rational people off. I also have to say that. And I definitely enjoy the whole subculture that comes with astrology and tarot and the language of it all. I'm just going to take like a second to tell you about my favorite YouTube tarot reader, who is a lady. Uh, she calls herself Baba Jolie. She's a white lady. And she claims that she doesn't actually do anything. It's all the spirit guides. They really have a pretty funky way of speaking through her. So sometimes they'll say the most random shit like, and, and then she'll be like translating it for you, right? So she'll go like, the spirit guides are telling me, Kevin, Kevin, the spirit guides are telling me, Kevin, eat your hot dog. So if you're Kevin, or if you're eating a hot dog, or if you're hot, or if you're a dog, this reading is for you. <laughs> I did priceless. I love it so much. And if you see the comment section, there are people who have lost their jobs. They've lost their marriages. They've lost their homes. They're lonely. They're at the end of their tether. And they'll drop comments like, yes, tomorrow is a new day. I claim this reading. It's very moving, actually, at one level. It's it's very, very moving, like a cult that wants you to kill in the name of Charles Manson. <laughs> it's funny. The spirit just moved. <laughs> I don't think there's a single tarot reader who's ever told anyone to kill anyone. But, you know, if I got into tarot, that's what I would, you know, really. I, too, go to some websites and certain kind of accounts because, there's, let's face it, the language in, of tarot has changed. It's much more accessible via the internet and social media. There's this uh, woman on horoscope.co.uk. Her name is uh, Michelle Knight. And mm. I just love the way she says, hello, gorgeous soul. She's this massive lesbian woman who got married, like whose marriage had to be delayed because of the pandemic. So you know how great she is. <laughs> but she's just so lovely. <laughs> She had to postpone her wedding for because of the pandemic. And a friend of mine, her name is Sukanya. She runs this thing called Witch of Moons. And she's always been interested in tarot. And now she posts these lovely little updates on Instagram. And I know her. And then I watch her. And I just love the way she presents certain things. Like, you know, it's a full moon. It's whatever. You should do this. She gave me a deck of tarot cards. And I'm very excited by it. I've got to say, you know, we all want to feel a little bit connected to something bigger than I'm going to judge. Yeah. But, you know, the page three, the crossword, the horoscope mm. column, these are things called newspaper furniture. It's just something that you expect in every single newspaper. And which is why people get irritated when you move the furniture around, quote unquote, in a newspaper. I don't know if any of our listeners even read newspapers, but the, the horoscope, as we know today, which is like, you know, the, the, the sun signs and everything. When it started out, it wasn't like that. There was this high society neo-shaman whose name was William Warner. And he used to read the palms of folk like Mark Twain and Winston Churchill. And oh. he had an assistant who was an astrologer whose name was R.H. Naylor, who did all the celeb star charts, you know. So Princess Margaret, who was born in 1930, the main shaman was off on that day on holiday or something. So Naylor did this like uh, star chart for her. And he predicted that something very important would happen in this child's seventh year. Mind you, her father wasn't king at that time. And when she turned seven, King Edward VIII abdicated, making her father the king. Okay. So the editor told him, Chuck, bhai sahab, now you please do a regular column. 
So what he started by doing was he would do birthday horoscopes for the week after. That wasn't generating enough readership. So he was the first guy to do star signs or sun signs, like do 12. So because you would get a much larger number of readers. And that's how you got the first general horoscope column. I mean, it's uh, a piece of trivia you don't need. But yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, I need it. I need it. <laughs> And yeah, I know. And like years later, we're going to like Susan Miller's once a month. <laughs> like, she's <her laughs> not bad though. Always predicts the wrong things, but interesting. Which is a prediction in itself. You know, I'll be honest with you. We make investments in stock things, right? That's what the technical term is. Or we stop eating certain kinds of foods and we give up smoking and we take on better vitamins and whatever. And we also go to tarot readers. It's all part of trying to understand who you are and your place in the universe. It's fine. I'm Nobody should judge that shit. Yeah, I'm right? totally similar. I feel that a lot more women seem to be open to the idea of maybe of astrology and tarot and stuff like that. In fact, I went to a tarot reader two years ago with a very specific question that she answered even before I asked it. So that was like super wild. But then typically she also didn't tell me that I'd be in a hospital two weeks later in the ICU and have a near-death experience. So, you know, it was like a mixed bag of like reactions I have towards her. Now, I have a pretty open mind. When I say open mind, it's like I'll talk about to people that oh yeah I met this tarot reader oh I talked to a healer that day and I'm also willing to deal with people shaming me for this and mm. it's really not because you know the Atlantic and New Yorker are talking about how millennials are into astrology big time now I want to discuss discuss where we get our disdain for this sort of thing I mean we are nice to people who believe in like Myers-Briggs personality tests and keto diets and shit like that you know and yeah, if you remember uh, the Inquisition they were burning women but for what oh yeah they were burning women for being witches but what did which mean at that time we know the systems of natural healing they were power for the course around the world they still are like when I was in my 20s I got jaundice and the doctor said oh there's no real treatment for it and then somebody else said oh you have to go get one puri from the pan while I eat it and I did it I was like yeah you put anything in I'll eat it you know jaundice there's no other cure whatever so now back then in like maybe 16th century ish like healers and they were mostly women they would collect herbs and they'd make poultices and ointments but because this wasn't like a empirical thing they would also like do things like they pray and they chant over people you know and spirituality mm. and healing were very much intertwined so you'd look to the seasons and even to the stars and you'd be like oh you know this and that and everything I mean we all know women who are synced to the full moon for example yeah like a, lot of, you know, a lot of people and you know you if, if you're listening to these things guys a lot of people don't sleep well around the full moon. You have more vivid dreams. You tell me it it can't not affect you. It has to. Now the, in the Renaissance period when all of this was happening, the world was being very like mechanized and structured and put into boxes. You know, there was medicine, there was science, there was astronomy, there was the church. And mm. guess who wasn't allowed to touch the boxes? <laughs> it was the <laughs> ladies not allowed to be a doctor. In fact, they didn't even like do research on women's bodies because they didn't want to like cut up a naked dead lady you know it was that bad so between the medical profession and the state and the church and all they conspired to end these women's way of healing people and these were women by the way I'll tell you what the most scary thing they were doing they were helping women with birth control you know Mm. so now there are today also there are a lot of people who feel they've just been ejected from traditional modern belief systems like you don't really go back to the kind of religious practice your mother had or you know the kind of guru that your father had or whatever so Mm. just relying a little bit on astrology and healers and you know a lot of these uh, practices 
it's bringing the human back into the mechanical you know it's giving us a kind of a sense of agency over how we feel not just how we feel if you know what i mean you know and also you look at the way the lgbtqia movement has found a space in the astrology thing there are some beautiful like accounts dedicated to different different places on the gender spectrum so i think it's more inclusive it's more social and i think that when people say oh are you into astrology and they roll their eyes up at you you should just put your hands in your pockets and put your middle finger up because they don't know what they're talking about and they don't know why they're saying it they've just been told to kind of look down on it it is a kind of a woman's thing but it's much more than just reading the stars and saying you know do you yeah. have to make till next week or not like are you going to die <laughs> <laughs> That's my take on it anyway guys I just love it <laughs> I didn't know so much of this though I I didn't know how deep it ran because we're so used to astrology or tarot or any of these arts being made fun of right I never looked at it from a gender lens to be honest so this is just blowing my mind If you look for it you'll find information it's a little harder but a lot of these practices because they were mostly you know went from mother to daughter to onward they were not written down and stuff like that so you you can understand where that kind of lens has come and then now we just accept it like we think lawns are posh like no yeah. one has looked back and said hey why is this lawn supposed to be posh oh. yeah like we rewild the meadows maybe we'll bring some respect back to what women are doing because it's intuitive right tarot readers but they sit across you Yeah. They are looking at cards and everything and you can call it chicanery or you can call it extreme empathy. Sometimes they will look at you and say something to you that connects because they can feel something in you and which somebody else might not. It isn't all yeah. just like woo woo, you know, pluck some shit out of the air. There yeah. is a method I, to it. So many people wouldn't find connection with it if there wasn't something to it. Yeah. We're going to get so many people sending us weird DMs. Are you prepared? How could I'm you do an episode on science and then say this? <laughs> Because we contain multitudes, listeners. That's, yeah, and they're mostly your friends. Okay, <laughs> all my friends are woo-woo pretty bitches. <laughs> all of them. There's <laughs> the people who really love me and who are really close to me know I'm not rational by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> I'll be rational when this fucking virus goes away. Just look at how the way we look at the future. I mean, right now today we're talking about astrology and laughing. If you'd caught me when I was 35, I would be like, no way, man. Don't be ridiculous. Don't waste your money. And yeah. so, I mean, that's a silly way of looking at it. But how we think about the future obviously changes at every life stage. When you're young, like when you're under 25 or so. you will sense of this like limitless time like mm-hmm. limitless potential like anything can happen you know i'll do this like you should hear yeah. the things my 10 year old says you know when i grow up i'm going to be a blah 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 and i've just lost interest in that bullshit like you're not going to be anything you just like so as a 40 something you know you get this sense of urgency that time is running out you know but it's not running out yet and i'm looking at you flirty uncles and dm please come on control okay as a parent <laughs> you know right now the future is a really horrific thing to con- contemplate you know i'm looking at the kids and thinking oh what's going to happen to them and also as a country like Hi India, where do you see yourself 5 years from now? <laughs> oh my god, like I I think I just like I clutched my heart <laughs> literally yeah. while you were saying this because practically speaking all evidence and then some points to the future of the human race being pretty bleak in terms of whatever in terms of climate change in terms of overpopulation in terms of how easily we kill each other with guns or with sticks or with prejudice dwindling resources and 
all the solutions for escape that science offers like wormholes through the fabric of time etc <laughs> seem like something you can't really book on makemytrip.com so oh. it's no wonder that like kids like greta thunberg are so angry with us because it's legitimate they are trapped in a future that they did not make my message is that we'll be watching you this is all wrong i shouldn't be up here i should be back in school on the other side of the ocean yet you all come to us young people for hope how dare you you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words and yet i'm one of the lucky ones people are suffering people are dying entire ecosystems are collapsing we are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth how dare you how dare you continue to look away you are failing us but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal the eyes of all future generations are upon you and if you choose to fail us i say we will never forgive you very powerful thing yeah i don't blame them for hating us this generation the future generation and i think it's unfair that they have to clean up our shit and every generation has to in some way clean up the shit of their previous generation but i really think that this is some next level garbage that has to be cleaned up and we don't even know for certain if it can be cleaned up or if it's too late you know and our generation which is like people like you and me genesia we are probably going to live into our 90s and 100s right that is if the virus doesn't get us or if we don't get like swallowed up in a tsunami or earthquake we are likely thanks to modern science live up to quite a ripe old age of you know 90 or even 100 so these poor kids are not even going to get their inheritance in a hurry i feel so damn bad for them <laughs> i wish i wish i had something hopeful to offer them but i am fresh out and all i can say is like sorry and i know that they're going to take my apologies and fling them back at me the way monkeys fling feces back at people <laughs> or a pile of rocks
listen i didn't personally give them the internet and i know that i've consumed a lot of like single use plastic so <laughs> i feel a little more culpable <laughs> i don't know i don't know man i'm just trying to stay alive and i'll try to start smoking so that people can make sure i die early <laughs> and not be a burden <laughs> that's all i can do for you guys yeah i mean at some point in time we need to have a chat about being able to put human beings down i know i know this show is going very dark after we just finished astrology but we have to think about that also also guys we went through this entire episode with not a single reference to jetpacks any of those <laughs> jetman movies about space <laughs> elon freaking musk going to mars crypto billionaires or congregating in puerto rico none of it okay because <laughs> this virus has forced us to live in the now not in the 10 10 10 but in the today the numbers are climbing into what will be the third wave delta flu is coming last week we lost people we actually know okay actual people we know are dead now next week we cannot what the fuck will happen so You know, you get a teenager feeling of wanting to jump ten years ahead into what you imagine will be your totally sorted adulthood, right? Yeah. And I want to jump twenty years into a best case scenario. So that's what I'm going to do. Like it's a future where there are midwives and astrologers and shamans. There's no air travel. There's no standardized education. Mm. There are no cars. There are lots of orangutans, and we are burning businessmen to keep warm. <laughs> I adore this plan. Let us make it happen, guys. <laughs> Namaste, people. Stay alive. Bye. Thursday Bitches is a fortnightly podcast presented and produced by Junisia Alves and Purnima Rao. Podcasting advice and support from the good people of Automatic. All views expressed are personal. Very